0: Right, welcome everyone to FazLift's Podcast 17. Um, right, this podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And still looking for some reviews on iTunes. That'd be really great if you could help out. Some nice positive reviews would be awesome. Uh, right, so today's topic, just me on my own today, today's topic is going to be looking at the value of cardio, um, why I don't generally recommend it as a fat loss tool, um, and to give you a better option. So I'm going to do a full rundown on my views on cardio, first of all, then my views on uh, other alternatives and generally the method that I use. I'll be referencing quite a few studies, about six altogether, which I will put in the notes. So feel free to take a look at those yourself. And uh, yeah, feel free to chime in with any questions you have about those studies. So first of all, um, the first two studies I'm gonna delve into, just look at how many calories does cardio actually burn. So this is a really important question if we want to look at um, the value of cardio. So you know, is it going to be useful? Now um, there was a good study by Lofton et al. in 2010 which looked at measuring this. Um, what they found was, on average, males and females they burn right around 1.3 calories per kilo of body weight per mile. They found that regardless of whether you're walking or running. It's more about the distance, um, that's, that's really the key. So if you walked five miles or ran five miles, you basically burn the same amount of calories. So it's easier to just talk in terms of miles. And roughly 1.3 calories per kilo of body weight per mile is around about right. So for a guy my size, that's roughly 110 calories per mile. Uh, for most people that I coach, it's about, about 100 or so or less, or, or significantly less than that with, with some of the uh, women that I coach. So, <clears throat> that isn't a great deal. Now, if we say, for example, let's just try and be kind of generous and say, in an hour of, let's say you do an hour of running, that's pretty intense. Okay, so you're just running non-stop for an hour. Uh, that most would consider that to be pretty hard cardio. Um, even that is only gonna burn anywhere between say, four to 600 calories. Uh, it's not a massive amount. Now. You might say, well, okay, 4 to 600 calories, that's, that's pretty decent, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about a bit later about the, the cost of that as well, because uh, there's a fatigue cost associated with that. Now, the the bad thing about that sort of 4 to 600 calories is, over the course of the months and weeks that you do that exercise, the hour of cardio, you generally get better and better at doing it. I think we acknowledge that. The more you run, the better you get at doing it. The more you do any kind of activity, your body and your mind adapts to it, and you get better at doing it. So as you get better and more efficient at doing it, it actually burns less calories, which is not great. So overall, so far, we're not painting a particularly great picture. Now, if you compare, say, just running full pelt for an hour to your average spin class where you might do some easier stuff, some hard stuff, you know, it's, it's not going to be as intensive. That four to 600-calorie figure could well be reduced to two to 400 for some people. So, so far, we've got, you know, on average... Not a Not a great picture being painted here about the value of cardio you know for an hour if you're running full pelt, you may burn between four to six hundred calories if you were doing a spin class, it may be less than that say you know accounting for stops and easy periods, maybe anywhere between two to four hundred calories. So what that does point to is a couple of things one cardio doesn 't really burn a great deal of calories because um, if you think about it, a chocolate bar um, and a bag of crisp is roughly three hundred calories three fifty. A decent meal, you know, is probably about six to seven hundred calories for some people, or or even more. So, in the grand scheme of things, between two to six hundred calories isn't a great deal. Now, that's the first thing it points to. The second thing it points to is the value of walking as opposed to running for obese individuals. So, if you're uh, of the demographic where you're a little bit heavy uh, and you're looking to lose weight, what this really points to is that just walking. Is, tends to be a pretty good activity for those people. Because if you walk, particularly if you walk outside, if you walk with someone or walk the dog, that tends to be a pretty good, easy variation for people who need to expend more calories um, if they're obese and their joints can't handle the constant pounding of running or doing like crazy spin classes. Walking means you can get in that, that same amount of distance and just do it nice and gently and in your own time and that's still gonna give you the calorie burning. And hopefully, if you're doing it outside, you'll actually get the social benefits of of going outside and the health benefits of being out in the sun. So, so far we've looked at how many calories does cardio actually burn? Not a massive amount. We've kind of got a figure, depending on whether you're running full pelt or whether you're doing a spin class, of anywhere between two to 600 calories. Second thing we've kind of identified is that because walking and running tend to um, burn the same amount of calories per distance, For those who are unable, either through uh, just being very heavy or through having bad joints, those who are unable to do running can simply just walk and still get all the benefits as long as they uh, complete a good amount of distance. Now, the next thing that I want to talk about is fatigue cost. So I think we've kind of put that to rest now. Cardio itself doesn't really burn a great deal of calories. Let's look at fatigue cost of cardio. So you've just done your hour of cardio you've just done your or your you know your intensive spin class session what's the first thing you're gonna do after that if you don't need to go to work odds are you're gonna get back home and you're gonna sit on the couch because you've just done an hour of intensive cardio your feet probably hurt you're tired you're sweaty you're gonna sit down and have some food now that's a very real scenario and through that you may well end up spending quite a lot of time on the couch. Now the issue with that is you're essentially undoing some of the effort because you didn't really burn a great deal of calories doing the cardio. So by going home and sitting on the couch, you're undoing quite a lot of that. And that kind of leads me to my next point where we look at um, NEAT. So I've got here a fairly large study. Uh, this was by, Van, I can't even pronounce this, Van, Van Lofholtz and Birkenfeld in 2018 and this looked at the role of non-exercise activity thermogenesis in human obesity. So NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, essentially between, you know, in simple terms, what that means is just how much you organically move around per day. So you ever met those people who, they're always walking somewhere, or they're always fidgeting, they can never really sit still, and they tend to be quite lean and quite sort of nervous, those type of people, they generally have quite high NEAT levels. Now, we actually know that the variance, this has been tested in multiple studies, the variance between NEAT for people can account for anywhere right up to 2,000 calories of difference. So if you're bedbound, your NEAT is probably on average something like 500 calories. So if there's 500 calories you're burning, it's just simply through fidgeting, you know, moving forward and back, perhaps in your chair if you 're engaged right the way up to sort of heavy agricultural moving or like if you 're a builder and you 're just doing working with your hands all day, that could your NEAT could well represent two thousand five hundred calories of energy burnt per day so there 's a huge variance. If we take two identical people, one person just sat in a chair the whole time, they could be burning five hundred calories extra on top of their TDE. If we take somebody else who 's in heavy labor, they could be burning two thousand five hundred calories um, per per day. On top of their regular, you know, uh, TDE, just how much their body needs to survive. So there's a massive, massive variance. Two thousand calories is nothing to sneeze at. So NEAT is not uh, a sort of a, is is a is a juggernaut really in terms of fat loss. Compare that two thousand calorie variance to your two hundred to six hundred calorie spin class, and you'll start to see why. Doing that cardio, doing that intense cardio, spin class, and then sit on your ass all day is going to have a massively detrimental effect on the actual amount of calories that you burn. Just compare the numbers. Any AT can account for an extra 2,000 calories per day. Your spin class, which leaves you tired, but potentially might burn three to 400 calories, pales in comparison if it knocks out your activity for the rest of the day. And that's really the key. So... Going down, let's sort of have a look at this. I've already given you one stat, which is the um, the variance in calories burned. Now, just to sort of round out this discussion, let's kind of look at what, what, composes, um, what composes our metabolism, what composes sort of what we call the TEE, which is total energy expenditure per day. We have our basal metabolic rate, which is the BMR. Now, BMR tends to be... Uh, BMR tends to be related to uh, lean body mass, um, also somewhat to, to fat mass as well. And your basal metabolic rate is basically just what your body needs to just survive with nothing else. Um, then after that, you have the thermic effect of food, and generally, as we know, protein tends to have a higher thermic effect. Um, and right down to carbohydrates, uh, fats, which have a lower thermogenic effect. So, so far, we've got the BMR, with the thermic effect. Then after that, really, you've got NEAT and EAT. So that's exercise activity thermogenesis and non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Those are the big ones that we can control. We can't really do a great deal about our metabolism short-term. We just need to increase our muscle mass. We know that. Uh, and that may be something I cover in a separate podcast. But essentially, the more muscular you are, the, bigger, the, the more calories you're going to need. Not by a massive amount, but you know it's there. Secondly, we've got the thermic effect of food. If you're eating very, very high protein all the time, you're going to be burning quite a lot of that off. I think the figure is something like 20% of your protein calories just get burnt off in the digestion process. But in any case, the biggest thing that you can sort of change right today is your EAT and your NEAT. And those are the two things that might my coaching is built around for fat loss clients eat is exercise activity thermogenesis so most of my fat loss clients they'll be in the gym as often as i can get them in the gym so for some guys it'll be 6 days a week for others it'll be 3 to 4 days a week either way we're looking to get people into the gym for those guys who are doing 3 to 4 days a week and are fat loss clients you'll notice that i'm probably going to have you on full body routines because in my experience they tend to burn up more calories for those guys who are in the gym more like 5 6 or more days a week, you'll notice that I'll probably have you on a push pull legs, just to balance out the activity a little bit. But the EAT and the NEAT, these are the biggest things that you can actually change today to affect your fat loss and increase the amount of calories you burn per day. So we've covered what is NEAT, covered what is EAT, uh, looked at the variance between people, so between 500 extra calories to 2,500 extra calories on top of your TDE. Which is your BMR and the thermic effect of food. Now, let's look at another thing. Let's look at the, the next piece of the puzzle. Um, I want to talk about something called adaptive thermogenesis. Now, the, the body will adapt to how much uh, it burns, how many calories it expends, based on whether you're being overfed or whether you're being underfed. And then the extent to which that happens is very much determined by your genetics and um, your, your brain signals and that kind of thing. So, with NEAT during overfeeding, there is a huge variance for the majority of people, the majority, and it's not always the case, but for most people, nine out of 10, um, if you feed them more, their NEAT is gonna go up. And that's not always the case. There are a couple of outliers in this study which their NEAT actually went down if you overfed them for some strange reason. And if you underfeed people, more than likely, most of the time, their NEAT levels are gonna go down. Okay, so what is the consequence of this on a diet? The consequence of this on diet is if you have someone doing a fat loss phase and they're lowering their calories, they're naturally going to move around less, okay, which means that they're naturally going to burn less calories. So you get yourself into a situation where you cut somebody's calories by quite a lot per day and you have them doing these awfully tiring spin classes. You're setting themselves up, you're setting them up for failure. Do you see how that's sort of fitting together now? So you have a situation where you're purposely underfeeding somebody. That means they have less NEAT. So over the course of the day, the calories that they burn just from moving around are going to become less and less and less and less over time. Then on top of that, you add in extremely tiring cardio sessions. And again, that's going to encourage their bodies to reduce their needs even further. And this is really where you get people into a situation where they're starving themselves into the ground, they're cardioing themselves into the ground, and their body refuses to drop any weight. This is what happens. They essentially, they become slugs. They just don't move around very much. And because they don't move around very much, the calories have to be taken to the point where they're so low, it's just unsustainable, and they can't do that. So one of two things happens. They either hit a ball, and they just don't lose weight, or they just binge. And they just eat a bunch of food. They might disguise it as like a cheat meal to like kickstart metabolism. But no, you fucking cheated and you binged and and that's what happened. That gave you a bit of energy. It gave you some energy to move around. And that means you could probably get through another few days. But your entire strategy was flawed from the beginning. Because all you were doing was burning yourself to the ground, giving yourself a bit of energy to then do the same thing over and over again. But the net effect, you can't beat you can't beat any AT, and you can't beat the, adapt- the adaptive thermogenesis. You just can't. You have to work with your body, not against it. So You have to do this in a sensible, more progressive kind of way. Now, interestingly, on that note, just going to move into a slightly different conversation. Um, one of the studies, which I think was this one here, Changes in Energy Expenditure with Weight Gain and Weight Loss in Humans. This was by Manfred Muller, I actually noted a fairly interesting thing that um, fasting reduces the adaptive thermogenesis uh, associated with uh, starvation. So just started to throw that one in as a sort of an interesting talking point. Perhaps at another time we'll sort of look at that. But um, it's quite interesting to note that if you're on a fat loss phase, periods of fasting don't actually decrease the metabolism anywhere near as much as a constant deficit. And it may well be a good tool to employ as part of your overall fat loss strategy as for whatever reason, and we can go into that in and I have my own ideas and I have my research that I've, I've looked at, but for whatever reason, fasting seems to ever so slightly increase the metabolism for the duration of the fast, but also it, it doesn't actually provide any long-term reductions in adaptive thermogenesis. So your NEAT levels that if you're fasting tend not to go down. Uh, and in effect, they potentially go up a little bit. So it's quite an interesting wrinkle there. So for those of you who have experimented with fasting, know that it probably is a very useful tool if you're in a fat loss phase. Just, it might not feel great to begin with, and it may not be for you. Which is fine, because you have to go into um, looking at psychological factors, whether you're mentally attuned to be fasting. Uh, but as I say, that's probably the topic of a, of a different uh, podcast. But it's just something to note that if you do fast and you do fast well, it's probably a very, very useful tool in your overall fat loss package. Anyway, the final thing relates to increasing NEAT. So hopefully by now I've painted a fairly good picture that one, cardio doesn't actually burn a great deal amount of calories in the face of NEAT, which burns a ton, okay? That's the majority of where your metabolism actually comes from, a large part of it in any case. Not, not a majority, not a large part of where your metabolism comes from. I should probably rephrase that to say that it's a large part of what you can change in terms of your metabolism. Okay, that's probably the best way of putting it. Yeah, so we'll, we'll go with that. While you can't change your basal metabolic rate, short term, obviously gaining muscle will help that. If we put it into that way, it's the biggest thing that you can actually have a direct change, direct control of. That's your NEAT, how much you actually move around per day. So We've established that cardio doesn't actually burn a great deal of calories, it also has a huge energy cost. We've also established that due to uh, cardio having such a high energy cost, um, it's probably not the best option because it will reduce your NEAT. In terms of what is NEAT, that's just generally how much you move around per day. We've also looked at adaptive thermogenesis, the the idea that when you're on a diet, your NEAT generally goes down. And on top of that, if you're adding in extremely fatiguing and tiring cardio sessions, then you're setting yourself up for failure in that sense, because your NEAT will just grind to an absolute halt. Finally, let's look at how to increase NEAT. Um, and there are basically two things I want to touch on here. Firstly, stop fucking doing really exhausting cardio. This is Just stop it, okay? If you want to do something in the gym, hit some weights, because that's going to build you up. It's going to build your body, and we know that NEAT is uh, in part determined by your lean body mass as well. If you can keep hold of more lean body mass, you're gonna be more active, you're gonna be more capable of doing things, and that is just gonna give you a better reason, and your body a better reason to actually keep your NEAT level high. Now, the second thing is where do you actually increase your NEAT? There's two big things to look at here. One, during uh, sort of occupationally, so during your work hours think about where you can add in more steps during your work hours. For me, that was just having a walk at lunchtime. That was just a very, very simple thing that I started off. If I was training clients, for example, I might stay an extra 20 minutes and just walk on the treadmill for 20 minutes. I might park my car a little bit further away from work and just walk, you know, all that makes a difference. And of course I wear a Fitbit, so it gives me an idea of how many steps I'm doing. And it gives me a goal. People love goals. I, I do as well. So I, I try and target 10K steps per day. That's just me. Uh, your, your number will be individual. Just build it from there. And secondly, leisure time. Uh, one of the most common things that I do that with fat loss clients, particularly ones who start off um, somewhat overweight, is I just get them to walk in the evenings. Take the dog out for a walk. Walk with your partner. Walk with your kids. Just go for a walk. In my experience, roughly an hour, sixty minutes of walking relates to about six thousand steps, which is huge. So you could have all day just sort of pottering around the office, burning a bit of calories. Go home, cooking some food, and then go for an hour walk, and that's your ten thousand, cal- that's your ten k steps done for the day, and that's your NEAT sorted. That meant you didn't have to drive to the gym, you and catch a really fatiguing aerobics class, then drive back. So you, thats an hour and a half or two, potentially two hours there wasted. You did that all within the confines of your day. Okay, you fitted it into your day. You fit it into your work and you fit it into your leisure time. That's a much more sustainable way of doing things. Okay, now in terms of specific numbers to aim for, this is, people ask me this all the time, like what's a good number of steps to aim for? But you have to understand that question is just as arbitrary as saying, well, how many calories should I eat? It doesn't matter. You start off with a baseline and then you increase and decrease as needed, okay? That's really all you do. So my, me personally, I like to hold my steps at roughly 10K. That way, as This is during a diet, a fat loss phase. That way that I know that I'm maintaining my NEAT for the, the whole day, okay? So regardless of how tired I get, regardless of how low my calories are, my NEAT is remaining the same. So I'm doing the best that I can do to keep that figure high. As high as it was when I started the diet, so i 'm controlling that variable and wearing a fitbit for me is is essential um, and yes, you could argue about how accurate it is of course, but it provides it provides relatively consistent data and that's that 's all you need if i 'm always two thousand steps off i don 't really care it 's just consistent and that 's fine by me. It gives you a ballpark essentially so you 're more you 're more looking for trends in that respect you 're not really looking for hard and fast numbers so um, if you're in the fat loss phase and your steps start to go down, you can see that, you can see a trend over the course of one or two weeks, you know then to pick it up, okay? So, that is my summary of why I prefer using um, sort of what I would call organic um, uh, cardio. So, not non-prescribed cardio for um, fat loss clients rather than prescribed cardio. Um, like hard cardio classes. I'd much rather specify a number of steps because that way you get that entire picture of what's going on through in the course of the day. And I know that if we keep those steps consistent, odds are we're going to keep the NEAT levels and how many, how many calories they burn relatively consistent over time. If I just set somebody an hour of cardio a day, I don't know what they're doing for the rest of the hour. And you know what? I'm also just wasting their fucking time. So I wouldn't do that. So hopefully that clarifies some of my reasons uh, behind calories, NEAT, why I prefer NEAT and, and, and maintaining um, sort of step counts over doing cardio classes. I will say just to finish, I think cardio is great for getting fit, like if you need to internally get healthy, and also if it's part of your sports, so if you're a crossfitter or a rower, whatever, like some of my clients are, then of course it's a necessary part of your sporting performance, and absolutely crack on that's uh, a completely separate issue we're more talking about cardio for fat loss that i definitely don't agree with hopefully i laid out a good case and there we go right gonna call it there Uh, but yeah i've not really said this before but if you are listening to this um one obviously reviews are great but two just share it will you like share it around you know Uh, start to share some of the podcasts i've had some pretty good ones you know over the over the months as I started it this year. So let's start to share some of these around. That really helps me out too. Right, folks, going to call it there. Till next time.